Hey guys, welcome to God on Tap. As always, I'm Nike Spaulding and walking us through the book of Amos. So today we are going to finish out. We've been looking at the passage in chapter two where Amos is specifically talking about the nation of Israel. We are getting into the meat of our book. And so we're going to finish out today with the judgment that comes for them. And so let's jump right in. Amos chapter two, verses six through 16. Amos chapter two, Verses 6 through 16. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down, Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of the heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, again, deja vu, deja vu, because we've already read through these passages, these verses, but I really wanted to double click on these because I think it's really important for us to see these accusations that have come against Israel. And then the accusations we saw were very personal, very, very much based on the relationship that Israel has with God. There's covenant breaking accusations, double whammies. You're doing wrong. And by doing so, you're slapping me in the face. And then we take this little bit of a ride through the DeLorean, we teleport into the past and look at what God has done for them, which is why their sin is even more egregious. Remember, I did these things for you. How dare you treat the poor this way? And then today, we're going to finish out the judgment part. So intro accusation, and then there was that little bit of a pivot. We looked at God's resume, and then we're going to pivot back, and we're going to look at the judgment. And so specifically, uh, this passage reminded me of a story that my friend Alex, who was actually on a Friday feature before, told me about. Alex has always been kind. I I don't understand people like that. I'm grateful for them. They make me want to be a better person myself. Um, But she is just one of those nice people. However, God fashioned her was in that way. And she had a, a younger, she has two younger sisters and the middle one who I will not name in this episode chose to buy, used to buy Alex Uh, apparently more than what's an acceptable amount, which is, in case you're wondering, more than once or more than zero is not an acceptable amount. So her sister would bite her. And at one point, Alex's mom, who is wise and a wonderful parent, 
said Alex. Bite her back. And to me, that felt very just. I was like, yeah, that's what you get. You need to go bite her back. But again, remember, Alex is kind and Alex cannot bring herself to do it, which is probably a good thing. I mean, I feel like that's probably a good thing about her character, but it would have been just in my estimation. Now, parents, I don't know anything about kids biting. I have no idea if that was a good thing. It felt like a right thing to me. This is not a comment on the Wilkes family parenting, but what it is a comment on is it was tit for tat. It was the punishment fits the crime. And that's a lot of what we're seeing in this judgment here. So I want to just remember, Israel is trampling the poor. So there's been this interchange throughout this chapter of the low are being pushed down by those who are high. But the irony of that is we learn the only reason these Israelites who are rich are high is because God brought the Amorites low and brought the low Israelites up high out of Egypt. So this up and down movement throughout this passage in scripture is being orchestrated by God. So guess what? In the same way that it would have been punishment fitting the crime for Alex to bite her younger sister, we see God saying, oh, you think it's funny to shove people down? This is what he says. Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. In other words, I'm going to do unto you what you have been doing to others. And this is a concept of judgment and and repercussions that God often does, that God allows at times for those who have brought about harm to others to experience that same harm back to them. An example of that that comes to mind off the top of my head is Jacob in the book of Genesis, who we've talked about multiple times. Jacob is, he's the reason why in the book of Genesis, when you're learning how to teach teach it, seminary professors will be like, hey, be careful of making your application point be like so-and-so because you may turn the page and find out so-and-so is a little bit of a butthead. Jacob is like the best example of that. That boy is always doing something wrong. And then there are times that he gets it right. And then you flip the page and you're like, Jacob, bro. So he is a schemer by nature. This guy has been scheming most of his life. In fact, his name means he who deceives. He's a deceiver. So if you remember, he deceives Esau into giving his birthright, and then he deceives his father into thinking that he's Esau and steals his brother's blessing, which is cuckoo crazy. I don't even know where to go with that story. He dresses up like his brother. His mom, his mom's in on it. I'm like, this is some weird mother-son relationship. Y'all stop stealing people's blessings if you're a mom-son and partnership. But anyways, he's a deceiver. Well, if you remember, he wants to marry Rachel, who he thinks is, is beautiful, And he asks Laban, hey, can I marry your daughter? And Laban's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you do me a quick favor? Could you work for me for seven years? And he's like, sure thing, buddy. So he works for him seven years, goes in to consummate the marriage. If y'all don't know what I mean by that, well, I think you know what I mean by that. So he goes in to consummate the marriage, wakes up the next day, and it is not Rachel in his bed. Yeah, the Bible is really good entertainment. But anyways, the deceiver gets deceived. We will see this throughout scripture. Oh, you think it's funny to press people down? Okay, well, I'm going to press you down. You will experience what it is that you are doing to others. And that's just, and that's fair. And so we see God's justice on display in this passage. And then the judgment language goes on. And one of the things that we've mentioned before, the judgment language can feel sometimes harsh. Uh, So you've got to remind yourself, 
this is not about an angry God who can't control his anger. This is about a just and right God who is bringing about and setting justice back in place. And not only that, cosmic language is often employed. And so here you can see he's like, flight shall perish from the swift and the strong shall not retain his strength. Like he is going to make sure that his judgment, which is good and right, affects everyone. Because the reality is, is oftentimes when there is, let's say, economic downturn or there is a drought in the land or there is some sort of calamity that comes upon a specific region, we just know from history and personal experience that oftentimes those that are in positions of privilege feel it least or feel it last. So what do I mean by that? Well, we saw with the economic downturn in 2008 in America, those who are at in the top bracket of wealth in America were, the, of course, the least affected by it. And oftentimes, folks who are on the lower brackets of the economic strata in America felt it first. And so what God is saying in this judgment oracle is, Amos is sitting here in your city telling you, during a season of great prosperity, mind you, which I think is oftentimes the hardest time for you to hear a warning. Because if all you're doing is winning, it's like, hey, what are you talking about? All, all like the proof is in the pudding, man. If we're so wrong, why are we prospering? If God's not pleased with us, why is our bar- border enlarged? Like, what are you talking about, Amos? And so he's up in their city saying, hey, guys, warning to you, God's judgment's coming. And if you are wealthy, if you are privileged, if you are mighty, if you are strong, your first thought might be, ooh, that's going to that's gonna smart a bit. It's going to hurt a little bit. But you might be thinking you could trust in your own resources, your own strengths, your own self-preservation tactics to avoid the, the complete judgment, which is why this language is going to great lengths to be like, no, 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 no. Everybody, everybody is getting all up in this. The fast, the strong, the privilege. Which is, in fact, good news. Because for us, we live in an economy, we live in a system where oftentimes those who are doing wrong are not affected by consequences. They're protected from them. And what God is saying is he doesn't, he doesn't do that sort of economy. He doesn't live in an unjust system where if you have enough money, you can get away with stuff. If you have enough privilege, you can get away with stuff. In fact, he's saying the exact opposite. For those who are mighty and strong, it will fail you. In other words, you can run, but you can't hide. And so specifically, he's like, hey, you who think you're going to outrun this, you're not going to outrun it. You who think you're going to outstrength this, you're not going to outstrength this. You who think you can outfight this, you're not going to be able to outfight this. You cannot save yourself. If you're wealthy enough to have horses and think you can fight this battle, you will not. And in fact, it says in the end that they will flee away naked, which is to, well, I think that would be shameful for anybody in any place, but especially in the in the Jerusalem, in the Israeli culture, in the Jewish customs, nakedness is definitely a sign of shame. You'll see that in other places of scripture. So you see that in um, their battle scenes in the Old Testament where the men have their tunics cut in such a way that they're exposed and it's meant to bring shame upon them. And so in other words, all you mighty are not going to escape this. And in fact, you're going to have the shame brought upon you. And so what is our so what for us? Well, one, we should see this as really good news, that we have a God who is not like, oh, you're rich? Oh, okay, okay, you get a pass. Oh, you got some sort of privilege, this man-made hierarchy status thing symbol you got? Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, you can come on through. 
let me move this like red velvet little bar thing or rope aside. You can step through onto the red carpet and no judgment for you. We don't, that is not how our God rules. In fact, it, this, this text is teaching us the very opposite of that. The judgment is coming and it will affect not the poor and lowly to the effect that, that God, he's not mentioning them. Notice, the judgment is coming for those who would use their strength and their power and their privilege to think that they can escape from God. God's saying the exact opposite. So that is good news. That is good news. Because in our judicial system, we all know that there are situations where we have cringed and we have longed for the day when justice would would actually be blind, when justice would actually be based on the merit of the situation and not just simply does this person have the ability and the privilege to get out of it. So that's good news. But I think it also serves as a warning to us. It is It makes sense to me that a person could naturally conclude, I will be exempt from this calamity. Because in the natural order of things, once you make enough money or once you have enough status, or once you, know, you, you learn to be exempt from things. And I see us do that, not maybe in these big, huge, dramatic, God's coming to take out your country way because that has been done away with because we're not the people of God in the same way that Israel was because of Jesus Christ. But I think we are in real danger of self-sufficiency. Because that's ultimately what I think he's addressing here is your privilege and your status, your ability to provide for yourself, your ability to prevent calamity has kept you from depending on me. That you guys, because you're living in a time of prosperity and you're living in a time where you're just winning, you think you're going to be exempt. And I think we sometimes can create for ourselves some self-sufficiency. And I think we need to be careful with that. But I think the bigger so what for us. So if, if you're in that danger and I think you need to check your heart, maybe this is a good prayer. Maybe if, if God's speaking to you that, you're like, gosh, I think I would have thought of myself as the swift and mighty and and I need to spend some time with the Lord and go, hey, God, I don't, I don't want to rely on myself. I think that's important. But the other bigger message here that I think we have to understand is whoever thinks they're mighty, God is mightier. Whoever thinks they're fast, God is faster. Whoever thinks they're a good fighter, God's the ultimate fighter. Whoever thinks that they have privilege, God has more. And that's really good news because I just want to ask you, what are you facing today? Who are you facing today? What's going on in your life that you need a God who is stronger, faster, mightier, wiser, bigger, nearer than whatever it is that you're going through. Because I think we all face things that we need to know that God is going to be stronger than what we're facing. That God's out in front of whatever we're going through. That whatever enemy you're up against, whether it's an enemy that you've invited into your own life because of sin of yourself, or maybe it's something you're facing because of the sin of others, we have to know that we serve a God who's bigger and better than whatever it is that we're staring down and that he will be there with us by our side. And so that's what our big so what is today, is that this judgment oracle is coming for Israel. And on one side, if you're the arrogant side of it and you think you're going to escape it, God's telling you, no, 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 no. Privilege 
and money and esteem does not buy yourself out of God's just and right system. That is good news. And then on the other side, if you need God to rescue you because you're facing an enemy that seems swifter than you, mightier than you, stronger than you, you need to know that when God flexes, everyone takes a knee. Everything, everything is is in subjection to the mighty God. That if you know and love and serve him because of the blood of Christ, he's on your side. If nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. But way more importantly, the mighty God of the universe loves you. Peace, friends.